This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. We're doing a From the Vault episode today. We're going back in time where I had my very own brother on the show to talk about performance and how to beat the brain game that goes on when we're playing music and trying to get better. Looking forward to bringing this one back and bringing it back to life. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, where musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve, no matter what instrument you play. All right, so we have a lot of episodes of this podcast now. In fact, this is episode 358. And so there are a lot of great episodes that are years and years and years old that on the very occasion on this show, I like to bring back to life to give them, uh, because I think they're important, I want to make sure that everybody's listening to them. And I, I definitely know that not everybody is going all the way back in our catalog four years ago to episode 98, where I came out with an episode called How to Beat the Brain Game for Musical Freedom. And this features my very own brother, Matt Vartstra, who got his PhD in sports and performance psychology. So he knew and knows a, a thing or two about how to navigate the brain side, the thoughts and feelings side of performance, right? And if you have uh, been in this for a bit, right, like this jazz thing and the music thing, you probably have figured out by now that a really big aspect of improving as a musician and getting better has to do with your mental game, right? Performance anxiety. Do you have performance anxiety when you play and you feel like you freeze up and you're not able to quite get there? Do you get frustrated really easily while you're practicing and are unable to get past that and get to the next level? Are you constantly feeling down on your jazz playing like you're not good enough? Are you comparing yourself to others constantly? My bet is that if not now, at some point you have done all those things and that it's probably a continuous battle for you. And really, if we keep staying stuck in that place, we're slowing down our progress as musicians of getting to that place where we're feeling elated with our jazz playing and feeling great. So if we can learn how to deal with this side of the equation and at least become more aware of the things that are actually happening to us when we're trying to do this thing, it's going to be extremely helpful. So that's why this episode is important to me. That's why I wanted to bring it back here from the vault for today's episode. Before we do this, of course, and I talk to my brother, Matt, let's go ahead and thank our sponsor, which is our very own LJS Inner Circle membership. So the LJS Inner Circle is the place where you can get all the resources, 
tools, instruction, and community that you need to help improve your jazz playing faster while practicing less. We have practice programs for you to help you know exactly what to do, whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced player. We have monthly jazz standard studies, which help you learn one jazz standard every single month. We have a really vibrant community of all kinds of musicians playing different instruments from all over the world who are practicing together and improving together. And you can ask any of our members who have been around for, you know, even since the beginning for a few years, like the improvement that they've made within the inner circle by taking action and engaging is monumental. So if that's something that you want, if you kind of want a bit of an easy button for your jazz playing to help you along, to get that help you know you need, then go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com. See if it's a good fit for you and we'll look forward to having you. Okay, so let's go on to the episode I did with my brother Matt on how to beat the brain game for musical freedom. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Happy to be here. Um, looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, you know, and I thought long and hard about having you on the show because, uh, you know, it, in my childhood, I, I, you know, I still see therapists on a daily, uh, you know, weekly, <laughs> weekly, because of all the, you know, older brother stuff that, you know, destroying my Lego towers and just a lot trauma. of stuff. A lot, trauma, yeah, a lot of trauma. Sure. Yeah, a lot of trauma I've been dealing with. Uh, <laughs> so, but you know, at the end of the day, I was like, you know, we got to, we got to get this guy on here. But especially because, actually, and I, I said this in the intro to the show. Uh, you know, I, you, I've used you as multiple, multiple times for examples of setting personal records. And I've mentioned, I just thought, man, I need to get my, my older brother on the show because you know so much about this stuff and, uh, you have a PhD in sports psychology. So, uh, I mean, you have so much to offer on this subject, but I thought, you know, just, uh, you know, everybody knows you're my brother now, but let's find out what you're all about. So if you wouldn't mind just uh, telling the audience, you know, what's your one minute Matt Varster bio, what, what you do, what you're all about, what gets you going. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, currently, I'm the assistant director for career services um, with the University of Idaho Career Services Office. Um, so I've been working with them on and off for for quite some time. Um, was uh, working with them during my PhD, um, like you mentioned, PhD in sports psychology. Got that at the University of Idaho. Uh, while I was uh, while I was getting my PhD, I was also um, doing uh, my working at the career services office, and what I ended up doing for my dissertation was actually comboing those things together into uh, working with student athletes on career development related issues, um, uh, as well as uh, consulting with student athletes on performance related topics, mental training, mental skills um, from a sports psychology perspective. And so, being able to kind of combo those together and work in career services while still helping student athletes um, uh, on on performance related issues, uh, as well as uh, finding career options. And, and being successful uh, in the performance environment that is job searching and finding a career um, has been kind of my focal point over the past few years. So what, what got you into the whole sports uh, psychology department in the first place? You know, because I know I know because I, I know you that you started out in like chemistry when you started you know, college. Uh, right. You're you following in our father's footsteps. But then you made this change. So like what what excites you about it? What made you like excited to go into this direction and, and start learning about that? 
Yeah, no, gr- great question. Um, and uh, uh, to, to keep the story uh, shorter rather than longer, um, <laughs> I, I was I was a, I was a chemistry major, then I was an engineering major for a little while. Right. Yeah. Um, and and I, I really uh, I was good at it, um, but uh, it wasn't it, well, I wasn't passionate about it. Um, and so I started searching for something that I was passionate about, something that I really cared about. Um, and 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 I stumbled across it, one of the degrees that was available was this, this sports science degree with an emphasis in sports psychology. And I was like, What's, what is sports psychology? I had no idea what it was at the time when I was a freshman in my undergrad uh, and and discovered that that was uh, a really an area of interest for me. I had taken some psychology courses, really liked the concept of uh, what psychologists do um, in the helping realm of that, uh, finding out what makes people tick and how to maximize that. Uh, and then finding out there was a sports side, a performance side to that. Um, how do we maximize human performance? performance from a mental standpoint rather than just a physical standpoint uh, was really fascinating. Uh, one of the ways that I that I sell sports psychology, performance psychology to people is uh, I ask them, what percentage of your performance do you think is mentally based? And you can ask anyone this question. It can be uh, a sports performer. It can be uh, a musician. It could be a dancer. It could be uh, anyone who's in a performance environment. Um, what percentage of your performance do you think is mental rather than physical? Um, and, and the answer typically for athletes anyway is anywhere from 50% to 90% is mental. Yeah. And then you follow up with this question, well, what what percent of your time do you spend practicing your mental skills as opposed to your physical skills? And the answer is almost always, well, 100% of my time is spent physically practicing. But you just told me that anywhere from 50 to 90% of your performance is based on your mental skills. So there's the there's a disconnect with a lot of performers between their training the physical side, which is clearly very important. But then they're not training the mental side, which they're telling me is is at least equivalently important to their physical training uh, in performance. And so um, that was that has fascinated me the the dichotomy between physical training and mental training, and how people tend to spend all their time focused on physical training when you know inherently that the things is very important. And so uh, getting people to start thinking about well. How much time should I actually maybe redirect away from physical training into mental training um, is something that uh, I think helped to drive me down the path towards uh, sports psychology and performance psychology. Awesome. And I, and I remember actually with the first time you explained to me, like, you know, you're doing sports psychology, like what's, what's sports psychology? That's so weird. And you're, you're talking to me about it and, and, you know, basically everything you just said just now. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking to myself, uh, why don't musicians have, you know, psychologists, like, why isn't this a thing? And it is, it's performance psychology, but, uh, you know, why isn't it like an actual like thing? You know, why aren't, I guess probably cause you know, musicians are, they can't pay for it. So, I mean, unless it's some like big organization, that's going on a quick question so how do you how do you get a jazz musician to get a million dollars i don't know the answer to that question you got to start with two million dollars <laughs> um yeah so so <laughs> that's yeah that's such a corny joke um I, i'm sure some there's, there's so many of those weird jokes um anyways like you know when i first heard about this i'm like oh my gosh like i I have this problem all the time and it's not just me. Uh, So many musicians uh, have this exact same problem that anyone who has to perform, whether it's in athletics, uh, whether it's in the fine arts, whether it's in dancing, like you said, or, or music, whatever it is, it's such a big psychological game. And I, I have definitely been in the position many times where 
if my head's not in the right space, if I'm not prepared to uh, uh, to be in a, in a to be in a positive space for for my playing, what I'm about to do, uh, and what I'm trying to achieve, things can easily go south. Or, or even if I'm too worried about what I actually want to accomplish or or, or play as a musician, it can completely uh, it can completely ruin my time. Um, but the best music that I've ever played has been when I came from this place of confidence, this place of uh, relaxation, rather than tension up, you know, relaxing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's an amazing thing what you said is, you know, how much time do you spend uh, working on the physical stuff? And musicians are the same way as athletes in that, you know, we work on physical technique and skills and uh, learning repertoire, doing all this stuff, but we don't really ever spend time actually working on the other side, that that nagging voice in the back that's working. So that's why I'm, I'm especially excited to have you on here because uh, man, you just have so much to talk about with this. Um, so moving on from this a little bit, um, we'll, we're still on the same topic here, but what are some of the main psychological barriers that, that are causing poor performance that you're seeing in athletes and maybe that can go along with uh, musicians as well? Yeah, I think, I think this, uh, this particular uh, question is something that people ask a lot. Um, and I think that it's highly individual. Um, everyone comes to the table with their own, uh, strengths, their own weaknesses and their own kind of propensity to, um, be, be good at certain parts of the mental performance aspects of things and to, and to maybe suffer from some other things that that voice in the back of your head can be very positive or very negative, depending on how your self-talk is and the types of things that you say to yourself and the, and the, the place that you come from when you're, uh, when you're headed into a performance environment. Um, and so it really does become highly individual, but I think, uh, Traditionally speaking, um, a lot of the the standard kind of barriers that you'll run into in a performance environment um, are are things like lack of focus, uh, and and there's lots of great ways to address things like that. Um, goal setting is one of the big ways that that you can address a lack of focus, and that that's can be focused during training. Um, when you're practicing, if you find that you're just going through the motions, obviously you're not going to get the most out of that, even during the physical components of training. Um, and so you can set goals to be more on task and to be more present, um, during those types of things. Um, and, and I think that, um, that self-talk is another really big area that becomes a barrier. I think a lot of people's natural tendency uh, is to have that the voice in the back of their head that has a more negative tone to it. Um, it's more debilitating than it is facilitative, and I think the way to combat that is to is to practice positive self-talk, to practice uh, saying the things to yourself that put you into a positive place. Um, there, everyone has so many positive characteristics, positive qualities, strengths, and the tendency is not to, to talk about those things to yourself, not to think about those things with yourself. There's a, there's a tendency in a lot of people to focus on the flaws, the weaknesses, um, the things that could go wrong. When you focus on those things, the propensity for those things to happen becomes increased. Things probably are going to go wrong because you're thinking about the things that are going to go wrong. Um, you're going to trend into that direction. Uh, and so when you can change your self-talk, when you can change the way that you think about things to a more positive framework, I think that's uh, one of the one of the big issues that people have, one of the barriers, and and and, and there's a relatively easy solution to it too, uh, is is to change your self talk, uh, and that's not not to say that changing your self talk is something that happens overnight, but it is something that you can do over time without having to invest 
major shifts in your life. Um, it's, it's small changes that you can make to the way you think um, that can really change things in the long run for you. So how does that in real, you know, how do we actually apply that? You know, so I'm, I'm actually, as you're saying this, I'm thinking about, you know, a few years ago, uh, played with a group and it, funnily enough, uh, one of the, one of the musicians, he's actually the band leader and, uh, he, I, he was a little bit, uh, you know, maybe a little bit behind in skill level with some of the other musicians that are, that were playing in the band. Um, but he, he had hired us because he wanted to play with us, and you know, and it, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Uh, none of us had any problem with the way he played or anything like that. But um, you know, I think he had a lot of this negative self talk going on, and like <laughs> got really inside of his head. You know, really self conscious, all these things, and all things that I can personally relate to too. But I think for him, it went to this very big extreme um, where. You know, he was actually making up excuses for why he couldn't make it this week and why to send a sub mm. or even sometimes last minute bailing that, that just didn't make sense. And, I, and a lot of us in the band kind of realized, I, I think he's I think he just is like he's not he, he's getting overwhelmed he, and he doesn't. Yeah. You know, he feels like he, he's anxious and he's stressed about mm-hmm. this situation. Um how can someone like that who maybe is in, you know, everybody has a different maybe it's someone in that kind of extreme or maybe it's you know somewhere in the middle. Sure. How can someone actually start practicing this, like this, you know, positive self-talk? You know, is there a, a time of day you set, a, you know, time of the day you set aside? Is like, how does this work? Yeah, yeah, uh, great question. And uh, um, <laughs> coming from from an, an academic standpoint, uh, we we could teach entire courses on on how to properly manage self-talk. And I have um, taught several courses uh, that uh, a large component of it has been self-talk. Um, a couple tips for your for your listeners um, would, would uh, regarding self talk. There's two really big things uh, I think that come into play here um, that you can actually engage in what in what I would call mental training um, in, in order to enhance your self talk. Um, the first one um, is a little bit more involved, um, and and some people can it feels hokey sometimes when people do it, um, but I, but I, I can I can I don't always guarantee, but I nearly guarantee um, that it will enhance your your self talk to a more positive level, and that's writing a self talk script. Um, I've encouraged athletes to do this, other performers to do this. Um, and, and, and essentially what a self-talk script is, is, uh, you sit down and you actually like, like type out, write out. Some people will even verbally like record it and, and listen to it. Um, so that they hear themselves saying it to themselves. Um, that's something that, that works for some people. Again, you have to find what works for you. A self-talk script really comprises um, what are the key things that you want to remind yourself of? What are the key things that you want to say to yourself on a regular basis? And it doesn't even have to be specific to performance. Um, sometimes, you know, it depends on the person, but sometimes people get stressed out or, or get into a, a bad mindset or, or a negative uh, self-talk spiral because of what's going on outside of, of their life. It could be something going on at home and then they're coming into a performance thinking about something mm-hmm. And so self-talk scripts are remind yourself of your strengths, um, remind yourself of all the time that you spent practicing, uh, remind yourself of moments when you felt really great about your performances. Put yourself into that space where um, you remember how it felt to perform really well. Uh, use a, Develop a self-talk, self-talk script that will get you into that mindset. Um, 
And there's a lot of different ways to to create self-talk strips, and really it comes down to what works best for the particular individual. Um, but a lot of it is about affirmation. A lot of it is about uh, reframing sometimes. Sometimes you pick up on the types of negative thoughts that you have on a regular basis, and so then your self-talk script might include things that reframe those into a more positive light. Um, th- those are all potential um, components to this self-talk script, and so then you can uh, start to – Read this self-talk script to yourself. Listen to this self-talk script um, to you, uh, being read to you by yourself as a lot of the times what people do. Some people put inspirational quotes into a self-talk script. Um, I find that I like to read them in the morning. Uh, That's me personally. Uh, I tend to wake up. The most negative time during my day is waking up in the morning for whatever reason. That's when that's when I have the most negative thoughts. And so if I then can read myself talk script in the morning, uh, listen to it uh, on the way to work in the car, uh, there's a lot of different options that actually don't take up any time. I'm going to be sitting in the car anyway, right? Um, and so then that's a great space to do it in. And you can again find, find out when works for you um, for that self-talk script. But you'll find that as you listen to that. Uh, it, it, number one, it puts you in a good mood. Um, and number two, it sets yourself up to think that way on a more regular basis, right? Yeah. And you know, it's uh, what I love about what you're saying is you're talking about these, the affirmations and the power that it can have by writing them down. And, and you're talking about writing them down or recording them what, one or the other so that you're, you're, you're hearing that stuff. And one really cool yeah. thing is I picked up this journal, uh, sometime last year called the five minute journal. Uh, and if you just Google that, you can find that and I'll link that today in the show notes. Um, the five minute journal, it's really cool. And I have to be honest, I haven't like kept up with it, uh, as well as I would like to, uh, sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't. But the one thing I like to share of it is that that um, basically it, it's kind of cool. So in the morning you're supposed to, it's literally supposed to take five minutes of your day to do this. So like the first thing mm-hmm. is uh, in the day you're supposed to answer, you know, what are you grateful for? You write down something that you're grateful for. And the second thing is you, what would make today great? So you answer, you know, what would make today great? You know, whatever that is, whether you're, uh, it's in your musical challenges or your daily life challenges, whatever it could be. And the last one is uh, a daily affirmation. Like I am fill in the blank. And I started yeah. doing that and I thought that was a very powerful um, tool to do. Again, like feeling ashamed that I don't keep up with it as well because it's a great practice. Now, a great thing is at night you're supposed to, uh, you know, list like three amazing things that happened today, and then the last is how could I have made today better. So kind of like a reflection sort yeah. of a thing. Um, it's a really yeah. cool journal, the five minute journal. But um, anyways, I just totally resonate with what you're saying there. And one other thing that caught my ear that I'd like to go back to really quick is. Uh, you were just talking about how we tend to sometimes as human beings, we go to like the negative, uh, the negative things. And for musicians, mm-hmm. that happens all the time. You, you're you're going to start thinking about all uh, the negative, you know, I, you know, biffed it on that line. I biffed mm-hmm. it on that. So it sounded terrible. I got lost. You know, I got I felt I feel ashamed. But, you know, you think about those things that happened, that the poor times that happened and the things that you're not good enough at yet. But you forget to think about the things you're good uh, enough at. And uh, right. in the blogging podcasting world, um, someone I follow named Pat Flynn uh, once said that, you know, you know, because you, you, sometimes you get trolls that want to say negative things to you. And it's uh, basically right. saying that one negative comment is greater than 100 positive comments. And it's so true. Like, you know, if you get a lot of people saying, oh, that was awesome. I really appreciate what you're doing. But then one person is like, that was terrible. That's all you think about. And it goes the same with music, uh, thinking about music and, uh, you know, your your abilities. You know, one terrible thing might have happened or, you know, not exactly what you wanted to happen in your music and you're playing. But then you forget about all the awesome moments that did happen or the things right. that you are good at and that you are building up. Anyways, uh, I just wanted to share that. I mean, what, what do you think about that whole, uh, you know, one negative to 100? 
Yeah, yeah, and and I don't know, you know numbers wise if if there's anything to that, but I think the the that premise is absolutely correct. Um, right. And and imagine how much more impactful that is when it's your own thoughts. When it's someone else saying it to you, that's one thing. Um, and and definitely that's true in the world today. Uh, remember how much more impactful that can be when it's yourself saying it to you. When when you know there's been a hundred good things that have happened to you during a particular performance. And then you, you, if you, if you focus in on that one thing and you yourself are the person telling yourself that that was terrible and that's all you're remembering from that performance. Um, that's, I feel like that's for me anyway, that'd be even more powerful to, to be self-inflicting that on yourself. Um, so I'll give you, I'll give you a second, my second piece of advice, my second tip for self-talk. Okay. Um, and that I call it the three D's. Um, it's, it's detect, Ooh. disrupt and dispute. Um, so the, the first one, um, detect is in this takes practice. You have to, you have to detect and figure out when you have negative thoughts. Um, when is it, uh, that you start thinking negatively? Uh, and, and this is more of a reactive self-talk mechanism. The self-talk script is more proactive. You're trying to set yourself up for success with the script. Uh, the three D's is more reactive. You've already started having negative thoughts. So number one, you have to detect when you have negative thoughts. Um, and that's challenging because usually it's so ingrained in you that it's an automatic process. You start thinking negatively because that's what you've always done. Uh, and so this takes a lot of skill and it takes a lot of dedicated time to figure out uh, and and sometimes it's reflective, like your journal. Uh, it, when was it that I started thinking negatively today? Like what 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 set me off? Um, and start to figure out when those times are, uh, and and get good at detecting when negative thinking starts to happen. Once you've been able to start detecting when negative thoughts start to happen, then you have to disrupt those negative thoughts. Um, I've had athletes that I've worked with that will do something physical. Um, I had a, I had a basketball player I worked with once who who, who would slap the ground. Um, to to disrupt his negative thoughts. If and it was it was really it was fun because I would watch him during a game, uh, and he'd miss a shot, and I'd see him slap the ground as he's headed back in the other direction. I knew exactly what he was doing. I knew that he'd missed the shot, and I knew that he'd started thinking negatively as a result of that. And he was like, "No, I don't want to think negatively." And he, you know, some people will clap, snap, um, a physical action attributed to a disruption um, to stop that thought. Um, I had a football player once who would put his hand out in like a halt motion, um, because that's what he wanted to do as his physical disruption mechanism to stop his negative thinking. And then the last piece is, is of course, is probably the most crucial piece of that. Um, and that's dispute. Um, and this is where you start to use some of those positive self-talk things, uh, from your script even maybe, uh, to, to reframe your negative thoughts. Um, and again, I use athletes as, as an example, a lot, the basketball player who would miss the shot. Um, you could think about, um, oh man, like that, well, that was terrible. I shouldn't have taken that shot. I should have passed the ball. You get into negative thinking patterns, the should have's, the would have's, the could have's, um, the, I suck at this, I suck at that type of thinking. Um, don't that when you get to this point of, of trying to dispute your negative thoughts, um, it's like, oh, you know what? Like, uh, you know, I chose to shoot the ball there. Maybe next time I should be aware of, of what my passing options are. Um, I, you know, and so you start to think about, well, how can I take that and frame it into a more positive opportunity? A lot of it becomes learning opportunities, being okay with a mistake because it allows you to learn and translating that into how you dispute your, your self-talk patterns. Um, so the three D's are another way to kind of reactive, reactively address any self-talk issues that you run into those negative thoughts that start to come up. 
Awesome. So number two is the 3Ds. And what was, can you say what number one was again? Yeah. So detect. So detect your negative thoughts. Dispute. Uh, or sorry, disrupt. So detect, disru- disrupt, and then dispute. Okay. Awesome. That's so cool. Um, well, I want to switch gears just a little bit. Um, yeah. And I want to talk about something. Uh, I want to talk about competition for a second here. Because in sports, yeah. which is where most of your uh, work and experience has fallen in, it's really centered around competition. And music, uh, I've given before on this show, I've given my uh, philosophy on music. I don't believe that music should be uh, a competitive event. I really don't think it should be. I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's what music is for. I don't think that's what is needed in in it to make better art. Um, but oftentimes in music, there there is a lot of competition. And that usually comes in the form of comparing yourself to somebody else, whether you're comparing your progress to someone else's progress, whether you're comparing your actual ability to someone else's uh, ability. And so I, here's a question for you. What, what do you think some of like the pitfalls or, or even advantages to a competitive spirit uh, in music or, or really in any kind of performance kind of a, a thing are? Yeah, um, great question. I, I think that um, I, you'll, I, I say this a lot to a lot of different people. It's, it's individual. Some people thrive in a competitive environment. Um, some people uh, use that to fuel themselves and to become better, uh, and, and that's positive, um, and that's what can result positively from a competitive environment, both in sport and outside of sport. Um, and then there's other people who are going to respond to competition. Uh, it's a threat. Um, it's, uh, it's not a challenge. Uh, it, it becomes something that where there's, there's a comparison. And if the comparison doesn't fall in your favor, it's failure in your eyes. And, and then th- that becomes very negative and can set off all the negative self-talk stuff that we just talked about. Um, and so I think it depends on your interpretation of that competition. Um, and in sport, it's inherent. It's inherent, right? In sport, the whole point is to compete. The whole point is there's going to be a winner and a loser at the end of the day. Um, and I think that becomes much more challenging to kind of get out of a competitive mindset. Uh, and I feel like in other performance environments, and for musicians in particular, because I agree with you in that there doesn't need to be a competitive environment in music. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, and that's where I think we, we start to focus in on something that I know you've talked about before in, in your podcast is, uh, is being personally being your best, um, holding yourself to your own standards and not holding yourself to other people's standards. Uh, and so regardless of the competitive environment, I think that, uh, striving to be personally the best, uh, is really where you want to take that. Uh, and again, some people really thrive off of comparison to other people and, and they can use that. My argument would be that that's not true for the majority of people. Most people right. are going to be more successful if they're comparing themselves to themselves and making sure that uh, this performance is better than my last performance. Right, um, absolutely. Yeah. And that's definitely where I fall it in line. And actually on this particular top topic of, you know, personal records is actually kind of where, and I, I've already said this in uh, the intro of the show, but you know, it's, it's kind of where I first was inspired to think about you of, of having you on the show. Um, you know, because I, the story I've, I've told on the podcast over the last few years now is that, you know, in high school, I always got this sense 
you know, when you were on the track team that you were really concerned about your personal record and you really seem to de-emphasize the idea of winning. Not that you, I'm not saying you didn't want to win or that you didn't want to <laughs> at least place well. Like I'm sure there's competitive spirit there, but I felt like you're more competitive with yourself more than anything else, which was the opposite of me. I actually remember when I was doing track and sometimes we'd be at the same track meets. I mean, I was like, you know, younger <laughs> than you, but we had the same track meets. And for me, it was the most stressful, gut-wrenching thing because I was so overwhelmingly concerned about winning or placing well in the race or whatever it was, the event I was doing, that it consumed me to the point where I don't believe that I performed even at half of the potential. I really do believe that. I don't think I performed at even half the potential because I was more worried about, I wasn't worried about, am I going to do better than I did last time? No, I was worried about am I going to do better than that guy? <laughs> right. And so for me, I would definitely like fit into that category of people that do not perform as well. So here, so what, what in, you know, going back to our child here, childhood here for a second, you know, what, what set that into your mind to think that way? Yeah. Um, and part and parcel of that is, is, uh, it really is just track and field as a sport is really conducive to personal records, personal bests. Um, right. it's easy within that particular sport to develop that mindset. And I think a lot of track athletes actually do develop that mindset because of that environment. Um, you can strive to be, uh, you know, I was a long jumper and a triple jumper and it was always like, how, how many more inches can I get on my previous best? Um, and, and I think that just inherently developed in me. Um, and I, th I think that became really critical. Uh, you, you mentioned how you felt like you didn't perform nearly to your best capacity because you were constantly focused on other people. And I never, I never had to feel that way, um, because I was always focused on, uh, you know, how, how can I become, uh, how can I jump two inches further than I jumped the previous uh, in practice right. even, or the previous meet. Um, so that inherently was easy to do. Um, and I think it, it just becomes so important because in sports psychology and in performance psychology, we talk about attributions a lot. Um, and when, and when you start to attribute things to things that are outside of your control, then you become less likely to want to train. You become less likely to want to work on things. You become less likely to learn from your mistakes because it's, it's, oh, like the reason that I didn't win or the reason I didn't perform well is because that guy did better than me. But mm -hmm. you have no control over how that guy performs. You have no, you have no control over how well he played on that given day. Um, and, and so then if you start to attribute your success or failure based on someone else, then you're not going to put yourself into a mindset that allows you to go back and, and view it from a positive light and say, oh, actually, because the, the most interesting part about that to me is if you're, if you're one of the people who attributes all of your success or failure to somebody else, or if you're one of the people who all you do is compare yourself to other people, you could have the best performance of your life. And if the guy playing next to you perform better than you all you're going to focus on is the fact that you weren't as good as him yeah. but you could have yeah. just had the best performance of your life and 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 you could miss it you could miss that fact because you're constantly thinking about what other people are doing um and again in sport you're all it's it always comes back to that the competitive part and and did you do better than that that other person uh, that's going to be a baseline in sport all the time and i think the beauty of 
of music and of of that industry is you you don't have to do that. There's there's nothing that states um, that you win or lose uh, in music based on whether you perform better than somebody else. Uh, and I think that. Um, this this conversation naturally kind of leads into something that I'm really passionate about, which is mindsets. Uh, and and I think uh, and I, th- I want to say that one of your past um, uh, guests on your show has actually talked about mindsets before. Um, and so we have this these two things called a fixed versus a growth mindset. Uh, mm-hmm. And and the people who are in the fixed mindset realm uh, kind of believe that there's a there's a set skill level. Um, you were born with this, this inherent ability and, and it taps out and it can't get any better than that. Uh, and, and that leads a lot to comparison. They start to compare. Well, if I'm not as good as this person, then I'm, I'm a lower skill level and I can never be better than them. Uh, and, and, and then you're, you don't train, lose focus, negative self-talk and all those negative things. And if you're in the growth mindset side of things, you, you believe that skill is something you can grow. Skill is something you can cultivate. Um, failure is not a big deal for people in the growth mindset because they take it as a learning opportunity. Like, oh man, like, okay, yeah, so that didn't go well. Well, well, what can I change? What can I do differently to improve my skill? Uh, whereas people that are stuck in a fixed mindset, they fail and and they start making attributions like, oh, well, as this guy was better than me or I didn't, I didn't do as well as he did. Um, and, and there's no learning from failure. It's a negative experience because they don't believe that they can improve upon themselves. Uh, and so I think Figuring out where your mindset is, um, is it, and mindsets can be different in different areas. Is it, is it, are you, but let's talk music, um, mindset when it comes to your musical ability, or do you have a growth mindset when it comes to your musical ability? Um, there's a, there's a book that I recommend to just about everybody that I talk with. It's called Mindset. It's by Carol Dweck, who's a, a, a psychologist. It's a it's an easy read. It's a it's a quick read, um, and it really covers mindsets from a myriad of different perspectives. Um, it, it's been a highly impactful book for me when I'm working with athletes and performers, and it's been a highly impactful book on me um, when I think about uh, coaching, teaching. Um, how, how do I how do I foster? a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. Um, parenting, even it's got, it's got great parenting tips in it. Um, uh, you know, for people who are, who are influential over, over other people, how do we create, um, a mindset within others that is more growth oriented than fixed oriented. So a great book. Um, and I think highly influential, something that, that some of your, your listeners might want to tap into. Awesome. That's so great. And, you know, just the whole, the whole, the, that growth mindset is so important. You know, there's a particular gig, uh, that I've played over the last five or six years and happens to be with a, with a lot of really talented, um, musicians. And I, you know, kind of this mindset I've developed with it is, um, being grateful first of all, to be there and, and to be, have been playing it all these years. Um, but then second of all, just feeling like, you know, it's sort of a mile marker for me, like uh, not a mile marker, but like a, a marker of, you know, here, here's this one again. It just came around. It, it's that is that time. And how did I do? And, you know, did, did I feel more comfortable? Did I did it? How did how did I feel in general about 
what I did. Not not so much not so much, you know, was I the, you know, most badass soloist this time around or was I, mm-hmm. you know, did I impress anybody? You know, cuz that's just a destructive mindset. Just you're going to fail. You're going to fail right away. Um but coming at it more from that like, you know, did I grow from, you know, last month to this month? I guess that's mm-hmm. kind of the the handy thing of for musicians anyways of having uh, you know, something that they can come back to on a, with with a longer period of time, um, which is why right. uh, a couple episodes ago we talked all about uh, gigs and jam sessions and why you should be doing them and why you should try to be getting involved in them and doing more of that because uh, that's something we all should be doing because at the end of the day we want to become better jazz musicians it's all about experience and uh, keeping that mentality that we're talking about for the long haul you know keeping that uh, that mentality of, of setting personal records now one thing I want to really quickly talk about and you talked a little bit about measuring and that's where mm. that's where things get really tricky because um, yeah. I think I actually talked a little bit about measuring, you know, what I talked about the 80, 20 rule in, in last episode and, and how to figure out, you know, what, what's getting your 80% of results. What are the 20% of things that's getting 80% of your results? It's hard to measure those things in music. Whereas if I'm in sales, I can say, well, I can see clearly that we made, you know, this much revenue from this, or like you're saying with the long jump, I can see clearly that, uh, you know, I, you know, went two inches further today, you know, than last mm-hmm. time. So you can really measure right. that. I want to speak to something like music, you know, how do, you know, I know this isn't your, your, uh, this isn't your expertise here, but how can people, what about things that aren't as measurable, like musical growth? Yeah. You know, sometimes we're so involved with what we're doing that we can't really see the progress. Like we're practicing and we're, we're in it. We can't see from the outside. It's kind of like watching a kid grow up. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're around that kid all the time, you can't really tell the kids getting taller, but then like, you know, an aunt or a cousin or whatever comes over like that's not right. around all the time. It's like, Oh my God, the kid grew up. So how do we measure yeah. this sort of thing? Yeah, uh, this is a great question. And this is where, um, again, like track and field, so simple, so easy to have measurement of, of different things. Um, and, and when I, when I start thinking about the, the music side, um, and how do we start to measure those things, it takes me more into the team sport realm, um, from, from my background working in sport, uh, in team sport, football would be a great example of this, um, there's still statistics because it's sport. There's statistics all over the place for sport. Um, there's entire industries now based off sports statistics. Um, and so th- those become your measurement tools a lot of the times, right? Um, in, in music and in other performance environments and, and again in team sports sometimes as well, the measurement tools become very fuzzy. Uh, what, there's not a number we can necessarily place to it. So one of the ways that, that uh, we've, we get around that um, is is by – using uh, your own personal perceptions. And so it does take some practice to be able to get good at this. But um, one of the, one goal that a lot of people that I've worked with, athletes um, that I've worked with have, have wanted to do is they, they wanted to improve their effort. Effort is, is something that's really indicative of performance. Um, the, the greater effort you give during training, the greater effort you give um, during a, a, an actual competition or performance uh, is going to enhance your outcomes. And so but how do you measure effort? Um, there's there's no number that you can say d- dictates your effort, um, whether that's in sport or or in music. Uh, and so what uh, what I'll typically suggest is um, get good at self evaluating. So 
people will oftentimes will use like a Likert type scale from one to 10, uh, one being uh, the least amount of effort you've ever given and 10 being like absolutely 100% effort was dedicated towards this. Um, and, and then you can actually rate yourself on that scale, right? Um, you know what, during my practice session today, it was like a seven, like it was pretty good. Like my effort was there. Uh, but, but I wouldn't classify it, you know, higher than a seven maybe. Right. Um, and you can, that, that make, gives you a measurement tool to be able to, to kind of start to self-reflect and you do have to be honest with yourself on this. Right. Um, and this is where it gets complicated because some people have a tendency to be really hard on themselves and they'll give themselves a much lower number than might actually be true. And some people have a tendency to be really easy on themselves and be like, yeah, well, today was a 10 for sure. Uh, and, and so you do have to hold yourself accountable when you're using a scale like this. But it actually does allow you to then track and keep record of um, a, a potential – fuzzy area where you can't necessarily measure something. And so it can even be just general perception of, um, was my performance, um, the same, worse or better than my previous performance? Um, that can be kind of, that's more outcome based. Um, and so it's not as specific, but you can use that as a potential measurement, right? Like, yeah, you know what? I do think that uh, today's performance was slightly better than my last one. That's that's a good place to be. Um, and, and focusing on outcomes can be okay. Uh, focusing on more process-oriented things is really critical when we're talking about setting goals and and, and trying to progress. And so I, that's why I like to go away from the big picture, the overall thing. It's, it's good to have outcome goals. It's good to have those end-related end goals and to set numbers associated with them and, and maybe perceptions associated with them. But those the smaller goals, the process-oriented things – was my effort level uh, uh, as high as I can possibly get it during my training today? Those are the little goals, the processes that are going to set you up for success when it gets comes down to those big outcome things down the road. Um, oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. And that's – when I talk about goal setting, those are the biggest two things I talk about, um, outcome versus process goals. Are you focused on the big picture, the long term, um, or – or are you focused on the little things, the small things you can improve, the little things that you can be working at? Uh, and I don't think you can do one without the other. They come hand in hand. Uh, if you set only outcome goals, you lose focus. The goal, they're just some mystical, magical thing in the sky that you're shooting for, but you have no path to get there. If you set only process goals, you, you're doing all these little mundane things and tracking little things and improvements, but for what reason? The reason right. is to get to the outcome goal, right? So it's really important to tie outcome goals and process goals together, essentially, so that you have a stair step. The, the stairs are the process goals. That's how you're going to get to the outcome goal at the end. Um, so that's how I, that's from a goal-setting perspective where I would take uh, take that part of the conversation to. I love that. That's, that's amazing stuff there. And you know, one other thing I would add for musicians, being a musician here, is uh, if you want to measure some of this stuff, uh, a great idea is to record yourself, um, you know, not, not frequent, not too frequently, but like uh, you could record yourself, I would say no more than, than once a month, you know, at least once a month, record yourself, you know, at the beginning of the month, record yourself at the end of the month, or maybe every quarter or every three months or whatever you want to do, you know, a longer period of time, you can listen to how you sounded at a particular musical example. And then how did you do at the end of that period and, and check it out. All right, Matt, I want to thank you so much for being on the show for all the incredible value that you've unloaded on my audience and just taking the time of your day. Is there like one last thing you just want to leave with the audience today just to send them off, just to get them feeling good uh, and, you know, winding down off their workout or their run or their commute, whatever they're at right now? Yeah, um, I, I think 
what I would say is, um, and, and basically this just wraps it up to what I was saying at the beginning of the show, um, is that focus on your strengths, um, focus on the positive things and, and remember that mental training and training and focusing on things from a mental perspective can be as important uh, as your physical training, as your, as your physical practice. Um, re- remember, answer those two questions that I asked at the beginning of the show. Uh, h- how much of your performance do you think is mental compared to physical? And then how much time do you spend practicing mental related things compared to your physical related things? And maybe start to incorporate some practice of some mental things. Maybe it's a self-talk script. Maybe it's uh, setting goals and, and being how, holding yourself accountable to those goals. Um, there's a lot of different other things that you could potentially tap into to enhance your mental performance. Um, start to think about maybe there's uh, five minutes a day. Maybe it's 20 minutes a week that you want to practice mental training um, to be able to enhance your performance, uh, increase your focus, uh, improve your motivation towards your practicing, um, whatever that may be. Um, that would be my, my, my thing to think about um, on your commute home or, uh, or after your run. All right, that's all for today's show. Thank you for listening. Do appreciate it. That was fun to listen back to the episode. And uh, blast from the past. Four years. I can't even believe that. It was four years ago that we recorded that episode. Time flies, my friends. And by the way, don't let any more time fly between now and you signing up for our LJS Inner Circle membership if you think that would be helpful for you. So go to ljsinnercircle.com. Check it out. See if it would be helpful for you. Would love to have you uh, as a member, and uh, just would love to have you, uh, you know, play some jazz with us and and improve and grow alongside us. All right, so we're gonna be coming out with another great episode of the podcast this upcoming Friday for a quick win episode. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate that, and we'll see you back then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask. That's LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.